All right, so Romans 5, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and kind of get to that part. You probably already are. If you don't have a Bible, uh, please come see me after service. I've got one for you. I'll put one in your hand. I'd love to give you that as our gift to you. Uh, I love this time of year. Uh, football is kind of starting. It's almost on the cusp. It's almost football time, and uh, we see that Friday night lights, right? We already saw that on um, man, Friday night. I went to the Jamboree out here at Stewart Creek High School. That was exciting. Uh, it's just an energy in the air. Uh, Titans preseason kind of launched on Friday as well, and uh, that's exciting. Um, it reminded me of a time uh, a few years ago uh, where a, a friend of mine gave me a gift uh, uh, gave me a gift and my kids, and I took one of the students that was in our student ministry. His name's Trey uh, Salee. He went with us. He gave us the gift of the Titans uh, tickets to the Titans draft party at their stadium. Right? This is not a, a public event where you sell tickets to it and everybody gets in. Uh, only exclusive. I don't even know how they get those out, but it's not open to the public. Very hard to get the tickets, but uh, man, once you get in, the benefits are incredible. It was awesome. Uh, we, we walked in and we're talking uh, free food. Any food you wanted, they're handing out free food. We're getting uh, facility tours around the locker rooms and we're meeting players. Uh, man, we're getting access to places we would never uh, on our own. Uh, we got access to the field right, where the Titans play their games. We're walking around on the field in the 50-yard line and uh, we're just, man, it's awesome. We feel very uh, much just, man, I'm getting the benefits of these tickets. It's awesome. Uh, the best part about it was um, it started to lightning, hail, storm really, really hard. I mean, it was just coming down. So what happened was is the entire field, everybody that was on the field just completely scattered. They took off, right? They're running for cover. Um, now, me being the responsible dad that I am, um, I, I see it as an excellent opportunity to take my kids out to the middle of the field on the 50-yard line and do grass angels in the rain. Uh, awesome opportunity. We go out there, and we're just living it up, and I'm just... Man, we're just soaking it all up. It was incredible. Um, tornadic activity in the area, right? And I'm thinking, man, what is a better and more safer place to be than a Titan Stadium? Hardly ever any touchdowns there. Uh, so it was awesome. And, hey, you can use that one this week. I'll let you plug in any team. It works good. Uh, but the benefits were, they were awesome. I mean, we got access to anything. It was incredible. Uh, today in Romans Five, one through five, Paul is going to lay out some benefits uh, to us being justified by grace through faith in Jesus. If you were with us back in the spring, um, Romans, Paul spent a lot, a lot of ink um, on Romans one through four, telling us how we are not awesome. Right, He beat us to a pulp to the ground. Um, he says, you are not awesome. Every time I read the Bible, by the way, I realize how awesome I'm not. All right, If you, real, you read the Bible and you just feel great about yourself, I don't know what you're reading. It just tells you you're not good, but God is good. So uh, he spent a lot of time telling us that because of uh, the separation between man and God, because of our sin nature... Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden, that that's been passed to all of us. And there's a separation between God and man. All right, that spent pretty much all of one through four laying that out. That's a, that's a penalty of our sin, separation between God and man. Now, because of this separation, uh, let me tell you what that actually does. It leaves a hole in us. All right, Augustine calls that a God-shaped hole uh, that only God is to fill, 
All right? The problem is, is that we don't realize that it's because of the absence of God. So here's what we do. From birth, uh, we try to seek out to make better versions of ourself. All right? We, uh, we try to become fitter, sexier, get the rock-hard abs, lose the 15 pounds, grow hair back where it used to be. Uh, we're, we're constantly trying to come up with greater and better versions of ourselves. But the problem is, is once we get there, we realize that we're just as disappointed in ourselves as we were because that does not leave lasting satisfaction. It's only temporary, all right? And all those efforts that we try to do, they are never permanent and they never last. There's a hole in us because of God and the separation between God and man. Ladies, a man will not satisfy that, all right? Jerry Springer was wrong. You don't, he won't complete you. All right, he doesn't. No, no man will ever do that. No job, no family, no car, no spouse will ever bring lasting satisfaction. Temporary, absolutely. Did we get moments of satisfaction? Absolutely. But it is never permanent. It never lasts. Men, your promotion, your cars, your, uh, your job, money, stacks of cash flowing out of your pocket, sex... All of those things are not going to fill that hole in you that only is the space that God wishes to occupy. You will leave, uh, you will be ended up being disappointed in yourself because here's the deal you are not the answer to the satisfaction question. No one else is either, no thing is. Only God through justification. By grace, through faith, that Jesus fills that hole in you. So I know today uh, there are people that are looking to fill that hole. They don't know what it is. They thought they could do it by seeking things and job and possessions and money and cash and girls and guys and whatever. That's a hole because of the absence of God in our lives. Created that way since birth. All right, God occupies that. Unless you have that, you will never be eternally satisfied. All right, so we're going to lay out this picture in, in Romans 5, 1 through 5, that, that Paul is going to tell us because when we are justified, we are satisfied. That, that ultimate, long-lasting, permanent satisfaction is fulfilled through justification by grace through faith in Jesus. That's the only way it gets fulfilled. So that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, very first... Uh, Back in Romans, the very first series, that was, uh, man, that was a beautiful collision, we call that, where the wrath of God meets the grace of God. That's what we talked about on that, the picture of God's love and His wrath combining on the cross. It was beautiful. We're calling uh, this one the glorious exchange. All right, Romans 5, we're going to try to get through 5 through 8, calling it the glorious exchange, where we, right, the benefit, uh, the benefactors of this this justification that we get to exchange our hopelessness for hope. We get to exchange from being um, enemies of God to being friends of God. We exchange our war with God for peace with God. We exchange that hole in our hearts with something full in Jesus Christ. So we're looking at an exchange in that. So let's get that to that passage and we'll start unpacking that. Um, this morning. So he is going to lay out the benefits of our justification, right? One through four was about us being condemned, and now he's going to say, you, because of your justification, 
this is what you're going to get. These are the great, great benefits of all of that, and it will always leave you eternally satisfied. All right, so let's pray before we get started this morning. Father, you, uh, you wrote, uh, inspired a beautiful letter in Romans, and we're so, so thankful that you did that and, and worked through your servant, Paul. Your word is uh, authoritative in our life. God, for anyone in the room that is not able to proclaim that, uh, I, I pray that you would uh, uh, awaken them. Uh, Spirit, awaken them to understand that your word is authoritative in always and everything that we do. God, you alone provided a way to have access to you, to make peace with you, to have hope in you. And I pray today that as we read about the glorious benefits of being justified by your son Jesus, that that would provide a perseverance and a hope in us that would make us uh, sustainable and profitable for you in this world that we live in. Thank you, Jesus. You are Lord, you are Savior, you are Master. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so let's look at these benefits of being justified, all right? Uh, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this first word, uh, justified or justification, uh, in a court of law, it means acquitted. It means we've been exonerated of the charges. Now, it does not mean we're innocent or we've been rehabilitated. It means we're guilty, the sentence has been passed down, and Jesus served our sentence for us. All right, So we're not innocent, we're guilty. It's just that Jesus stepped in, God passed down the sentence, Jesus said, I'm taking the punishment, I'll take it. All right, That's what justification means. Now here's what he says, the word justified is a past tense word. All right, so what he's saying is, is that the moment that you believed in Christ, that you trusted him as your Lord and Savior, you have been justified. It is a momentary, a momentary experience. It happens in a moment, and it is final, it is permanent, and never changes ever again. It is not like uh, sanctification. If you know what that word means, it means becoming more like Christ. It is a process. It is progressive. Next year, I should look more like Jesus than I do this year. Next week, all of those things. That is a progressive sanctification. But justification is a one-time moment when you believe. And God says, you are justified. You are right before me. It's permanent. It happened. It's over. You can never lose it. Your justification is final, and it is in me. You never have to question that ever again. You've made, been made right before God. You are just, uh, and he cleans it as if you've never sinned in your entire life. He made you right, and he justified you. So now let's look at the very first benefit of being justified. What does he say? He says, because we have been justified by faith, faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. All right, we have peace with God. If you're a note taker, that's the first thing you get when you're justified. You have peace with God. Now, there's a lot of pieces on the market. I mean P-E-A-C-E-S. There's a lot of different pieces out there in the world. Everyone is looking for some peace, right? We all want it. We want tranquility. We want relief from our pressures and our relationships. 
school, jobs, marriages, whatever, plug in. We're all looking for some peace, some, some temporary relief from those things. So here's what we think of uh, when we talk about peace. We think of circumstantial peace, right? I want peace when I have peace with my marriage. It's awesome, right? When, my, when my, my spouse, my husband, my wife, when we have peace, it's awesome. I love it. Uh, my peace in my relationships. All my friends, we're cool. There's no drama going on right now. We're clicking. It's awesome. Uh, peace at my job. I, I got that raise. I'm paying the bills. I've got peace in those things. Well, those are all circumstantial. So what happens is when you have an argument with your spouse, when the relationship is not good with your uh, friends or, or, or co-workers at your job, you lose your job, you lose uh, a man, your ability to pay and income and all, all of those things, when you lose those things, you lose peace, right? They're circumstantial. It never, ever lasts. It's temporary and it's circumstantial. Paul's not talking about that kind of peace, right? When sickness hits and you lose that peace, he's not talking about that peace. Uh, we often also look at world peace when we talk about peace. That's the first thing that comes to mind, all right? World peace is fragile, all right? It is, it is, it is never permanent. Whenever a war is fought and then it ceases, there's a moment of peace, but it's fragile and it never lasts, does it? We go from World War II to the Korean War to Vietnam to uh, the war in Iraq, right, and to Afghanistan. It's temporary. It's fragile. Peace is never sustaining. We get rid of uh, Saddam Hussein and then here comes Osama bin Laden, right? Peace is ridded through um, Al-Qaeda, and then you get ISIS that comes in the game. Man, it never ends. That is not the peace that Paul is talking about. He's talking about the, about the war, the greatest war in history, and that you have to have peace. And he's talking about the peace uh, th that you need with God. Because of our sin nature, because of our born nature into sin, here's what God did. He declared war against all of humanity. Everyone in the room, everyone in the world. He declared war because you're a sinner from birth. You and God are not just cool sometimes, and sometimes your relationship's a little rocky, and uh, man, I, I, he, you know, there's this great distance between me and God. I don't really know Him that well. Don't fool yourself into thinking that by the way you're born into this world. You were born in the world as an enemy of God. He's not just distant. He declared war against you. War. Now, here's an amazing truth that I want you to understand. If you don't understand and you don't realize that the way you were born in this world, that you were at war with God, you will never, ever find peace. It is only at the moment that you acknowledge that your sin has made you rebel against God and you are a war with God and you are an enemy of God. Only in, the, in that, that space will you be able to seek peace with God. Now here's the deal. God declared the war. All right, He's the one that declared the war against all people. He's the only one that can usher in peace. And he says that when you are justified by grace through faith in Jesus that he alone is your prince of peace, right? That's what he's saying. He's the prince of peace. He's the only one that can, can, can rid the war between man and God. 
from, from enemy of God to friend of God. To, to, to make you quit looking at God like a judge to be feared versus a father to be revered. There's the two differences in that. If today you look at God and you say he's a judge that I fear, you don't have peace with God and you don't understand your peace, is, peace with God. If you look at him as a father, I, I revere you, I worship you. I'm not, feared, I'm not scared of judgment, but you are my father and I love you. You have peace with God. This is the kind of peace that Paul is talking about. It's everlasting. That hole in you, that hole in you is filled up with Jesus Christ. You still have pain. You still have suffering. You still have circumstantial peace is lost. Absolutely. But you always are anchored, anchored in the peace that you have with God. You never lose sight of that. That's what the peace that Paul is talking about in this passage, all right? So uh, you can do this. Here, you want to try to make peace on your own. You can be the wealthiest person in the world, most successful person in the world, and not have peace. You can be the most religious person in the world. You can pray more than a monk and go to church more than a legalistic Baptist, and you will not be able to find peace with God. He's the only one, and, he, and Jesus is the only one that ushers in this peace with God is the only way that you're going to find that. All right, so here's what he says. Um, here's in this passage, he says that we have this peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you need to understand what the word Lord means it means master. I'm servant, I'm slave, he's master. You have to come to terms with that. If you don't like the way that sounds, you don't love Jesus. All right, you have to embrace master. Servant, humble servant, on the ground, face in the dirt, servant to God, all right? And, and many uh, people uh, man, in the church that grew up in the church, they'll speak a Christianese language and they'll say, well, he was my savior when I was 12, but I didn't make him Lord till 25. That can't happen. He is not your savior if he's not your Lord. They're simultaneous. Right? When you make him Savior, he is your Lord. You do obey him. He is your master and you are his servant. They're simultaneous. So if you've made him your Savior but not your Lord, you don't have a Savior. You need to come to terms with that. When he's your master, when he is your boss, you do what he tells you to do. You follow. You submit to his authority and not your own. That's, that's what we're looking at in this. Our Lord, our master. Right, our boss, Jesus Christ. Let's pick up and let's go 5-2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Leave this one up. Second benefit from being justified. Access to God. All right, you have access to God Jesus, because we have peace with God, now we have access to God. Full-on access. I don't have to pray. No one has to pray to Mary. No one has to pray to a saint. No one has to pray to a priest to get access to God any longer. We, being justified, get access to fullness of God. Now, in, uh, when Adam and Eve, right, what made things so great for Adam and Eve uh, at creation 
was not that they had unlimited access to food and the beauty and the glory of God's creation. That was not it. It wasn't that they had nakedness without shame, as good as that probably was. It wasn't because of those things. The reason that their life was so great is because they had full access to God. They walked with God. They talked with God. There was no barrier between God and man. They had ultimate access to the presence of God until Adam and Eve rebelled and sinned. And God said, because of your sin, you are cast out of the garden. You are now separated from me. You don't have full access to me anymore. And he placed an angel at the gates of the garden with a fiery sword. And he says, you protect this and no one else has access to me. It was broken. It was torn. God in his grace and his mercy made a way for limited access to him through the Israelites in the wilderness. They were wandering, looking for the promised land. They set up a a camp and they had a tabernacle in there. And inside the tabernacle, the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. All right, and in that, that was supposed to be the holiest place, the only place that you could even remotely access God, and the only place that ha- only person who had access to that was the high priest. One day a year. That's it. That was the only access they had. All right, that, uh, the story would tell, or tradition would say, that the high priest, they would tie a rope around his waist. And uh, as he would go in there, in case he had a heart attack, being in the presence of God, and they'd pull him out in the rope. All right? But no one else had access. It was just him. In there, there was a full, a thick veil, a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple because no one could have any kind of access to God whatsoever. What Paul is saying is that when we are justified by Jesus, when we put our trust in Jesus, the veil is torn, right? The veil is torn. It's no longer there. We now have access by faith in Jesus, the fullness and the access of God. Now, here's the, this is the picture of the beauty of heaven when we get to heaven. It won't be because it's going to be awesome when there's no pain, no sorrow, no sickness, no disease, no weeping, no nothing. Everything in us will be satisfied. But that's not going to be why it's so awesome. What's going to be so awesome is because we're going to be in the fullness of the grace and the presence of God. He's the gift of heaven, not heaven. Don't ever lose sight of that. God is the gift. We have limited access now. We get there. Now, there's fullness. We will experience it when we get to heaven. But he's saying we have access by faith in God. All right? Um, if you're taking notes, write the, make sure you're keeping up with us on these things. So our justification is not just about escaping God's wrath. All right, that's not what it's just about. It's about having peace with God, about being ushered into that, to that peace. Now, there's a, there's a story, uh, there's a story uh, uh, of a Confederate soldier uh, back when President Lincoln was in office. And this, this, this soldier was released from a prison camp because he was injured in the line of duty. And they let him go because he, was not, he wouldn't be able to fight anymore. He was, he was injured. They were going to send him back. And he gets out and he... he uh, he, he wants to go to President Lincoln and plead for the life of his brother who was also in prison. Um, well, he didn't get access to President Lincoln. He was just a man, and they rejected him. They turned him away from the gate, and he sat outside of the gate weeping and crying over his brother. 
Um, he didn't get access to President Lincoln. And uh, President Lincoln's son, his name was Tad, and Tad was walking by the gates and heard this man weeping and crying and came up to him and says, he says, man, why, why, are you, why are you weeping? Why are you crying? He says, well, my brother, I plead for the life and the, and the, the rescue and the, the freedom of my brother who's in camp. And uh, Tad, uh, President Lincoln's son, took him by the hand and walked him and to the gates, went through the gates. They saluted him, and he, ac- he walked him, and he gave him direct access to his father, Abraham Lincoln. That is exactly what Jesus does with God. He takes us by the hand and says, I'm going to give you access to my father. You can't get in on your own. You're not going to get it. You're not going to be able to access God at all. Only by me and me holding your hand will you be able to get to the Father. I will take you. I'll walk. Just walk with me. Just grab my hand. That's all you got to do. Walk my hand and follow me. I'm going to give you access to the Father. But so many people, they say, no, I don't need your hand. Jesus, I got this. I can do this on my own. I'm I'm not as bad as everybody else. I can get to God on my own. I can get to the Father. Surely he doesn't hate me like he hates all those murderers and rapists and all the Al-Qaeda and all the terrorists, man. I'm good. I don't need your hand, Jesus. Get it away from me. Be sure you will not access the Father if you are not holding the hand of Jesus Christ. He's the only way, the only one that ushers you into the presence of God. You need Jesus. That's the benefit of us being justified. All right? Uh, third benefit. Assurance of salvation. All right? I'm going to talk about this for a second because this is a big rock issue. Here's what, here's what Paul is saying. And that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So here's what he's talking about, hope. This is not talking about the hope that me and you kind of cross your fingers and say, I hope that this happens or I hope this doesn't happen to me. I hope I get this job. I hope I get this marriage. I hope I get this wife. I hope I get this husband. Right? I hope the Vols beat Florida this year. I hope RC wraps this service up on time. Whatever the case is, that's just you crossing your fingers, hoping in something that you are not certain in at all. Biblical hope is an assurance of something, a confidence, a boldness, is a certainty that is not yet obtained. And it says that we rejoice. That word means boast in the hope of the glory of God. It's saying that you should boast that God is going to do what He said He's going to do and that you will be in the presence of God in heaven and that you should have full assurance, full boldness, full confidence in that. I ask a question. Do you have certainty today? Do you have biblical hope that has anchored your soul that you will be in the kingdom of heaven with Jesus? Do you have that? I I walked in poser Christianity for several years of my life. And every time I heard the passage in Matthew 7, 20 when Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. Those piercing words that cut to the soul. I buckled in fear. Is he talking about me? Man, is he talking about me? How do I know? 
Faith is, is invisible. I don't really know. Is he talking about me? How can I be certain? How can I be sure? Because that's where I lived, that's where I rested, and that's where I stayed. Living sent meant nothing to me. Sharing the gospel was something I couldn't do. Giving with gospel-centered generosity was something I could not do. Worshiping out of that assurance was something that I could not do. How could I boast in the Lord when I didn't even know if it saved me myself? My own soul was secure. Man, I know. Listen, this is me resonating with you. I know there are people in the room right now that do not have the full assurance of their salvation. It will hold you captive. It will entrap you into lukewarm Christianity for the rest of your life if you don't have the assurance of your salvation. Am I saved or am I not? It will hold you back. You won't share the gospel. You won't live sin. You won't give generously. You won't worship with your hearts abandoned because you don't really know. You don't have a biblical hope that is anchored to your soul that you will be with Jesus in eternity. Every believer in the room, I'm talking to you right now, everyone in the room, you have the responsibility to seek the assurance of your salvation. You have got to go down that journey. You've got to pursue it. You've got to dig in no matter where it may lead you. And here's a couple of evidences I want to give you in that search, in that journey. The first one would be experiential assurance. Now what, I, what that means is have you experienced life change? Can you look back at your life, your old life before Christ and say, whoa, I'm nothing like that. I'm in the process of becoming nothing like that. I hate that person. That person loves sin. He spit in the face of God. I don't want to ever be that person again. I love God now. I want to run to Him. My life looks nothing different outside of the seat that we sit in on Sunday. I'm not talking about behavior mod. I'm not talking about, I didn't go to the creek, now I'll go to the creek. I'm talking about an internal, heart-piercing love for God and a hatred for sin. Internal change. If you can look back on that and you can say that, rest in this, you have salvation. So you can experience You can look back at your life and say, okay, that's evidence of my salvation. I'm not that person anymore. I I love God and I hate sin. I'm good, all right? That's the first thing you do. The second thing is, and I know no pastor has ever told you this before, read the scriptures, right? I'm, I'm probably the first person ever told you that, right? No, read the scriptures. In the scriptures, you will get your assurance of salvation. You won't say, am I saved or am I not? Am I going to heaven or am I not? It's in the scriptures. When I was walking through my so-called Christianity, I wasn't reading the Bible. I was listening to what people said. I I didn't have, I mean, I had no assurance. I was held captive by it. I wasn't reading the Bible. Of course I was lost. Of course I was living in uncertainty. Of course I couldn't share the gospel. I wasn't reading the word. Man, read the scriptures. In that, you will find 
your assurance of salvation. But I will warn you, you're going to find two results to this journey of your pursuit of assurance of salvation. One of them is going to be, you're going to find that assurance. You're going to look back at your life and say, yeah, I've got that life change that you're talking about. I've got that life change. You're going to read it in the scriptures and be like, I've got this. I'm trusting in this. I'm anchored in this now. I don't question it. And it will cause you to live the most freeing life you could possibly live. The definition of living sent has a whole new meaning. The definition of sharing the gospel has a whole new meaning of your life when you have assurance of your salvation. The other possible outcome is you're going to find that you put your whole trust in your entire life in you, not Jesus Christ. I've tried to change my behaviors try to go to church, or try to do good things. You're putting your trust in you. And it's not what you do or what you did is what Jesus did. And you're going to come to a point where you're going to be like, it, it's not me. I, I'm not. I don't have any assurance because I've never trusted Jesus. And you'll come to a point where you'll say, I need a Savior. And that is good. So go on that journey. Find it out because the end result is good. This is me speaking a truth that is meant to be redemptive and not punitive. I'm not trying to punish anybody and condemn you of that. My hope is anchored in redemption that you would call out to Christ. That's me loving you. The unloving thing is for people to not say things that are good for your soul. All right? Accuse me of caring for your soul. I'll take it all day long. Seek that journey because I know this. Jesus did not... Go to the cross so you could cross your fingers in your salvation. That is not a place that you want to live at all. Seek that journey this week. Man, pursue that assurance. If you want to talk to somebody, call me. I'll talk to somebody. I'll get an encourager with you. I want to help you get out of that limbo phase of your salvation. That is not where he, he died to keep you in that spot. It's not where he wants you to live. All right? Let's keep going. And we're going to be in Romans 3, or 5, 3 through 5. Here we go. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's go back to 3. Here's our final benefit of being justified we rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice in our sufferings? Right? Paul, the writer of this letter, had been beaten, mocked, jailed, stoned, boiled. Man, this guy had been run through everything, run out of town. And he says, rejoice in this. Is he sick in his head? I mean, only a masochist would enjoy the suffering that Paul endured. It's not what Paul's talking about. He says, I rejoice not in the suffering. I don't rejoice because all of these things are happening to me. I rejoice because of what suffering produces. The suffering is not our master. Suffering is our servant. And when I suffer, when I'm suffering all of these things, I'm rejoicing because I'm holding on to the anchor that I will spend eternity with God. Because the sufferings are coming to all of us. The question is, is when is it your turn? 
And he says that this endurance produces, the suffering produces endurance, it produces character, it produces hope. Now here's what happens. It, it, it produces a, a steadfastness in you. Whoops. All right, here we go. It produces a steadfastness in you that does not move, that is not shaken when suffering comes. You don't bail out when mom gets cancer. You don't bail out when your marriage is not good. You don't bail out when you got job loss. You don't bail out when your relationship is not going so good. Real disciples endure through the suffering. They persevere. Now, I've got some friends that and I, they, they come to mind. They flood my mind of people that came to the creek. And uh, man, they, they came in and looked outwardly. Man, regular tenders. This is awesome. I could really sit back and say, God's working in their life. I can see this, right? They're coming. They're filling the seats. They're talking it up. They're wearing their creek tees. They're doing all those things. And then what happens Marital issues start to surface. Job loss, right? An illness in the family, distress. The world we live in comes crashing down. And what do they do? They bail. They're out. They don't rejoice. They retract from God. They rebel. I don't need you, God, anymore. I've got life things to deal with. Don't you see? I'm dealing with a lot of stuff, God. I don't need you right now. I don't have time for you. I'm out. Or, God, why did you smite me? Why are you doing this to me? Why did my mom die? Why have I been stricken with cancer? Why did I lose a child? Why did I lose my job? Why are you doing this to me, God? I'm out. Real disciples persevere. They have endurance and they rejoice in their sufferings. They don't rejoice in the actual sufferings. Like I don't rejoice and say, praise God, I've got cancer. I love cancer. Yes. I just got divorced. It's amazing. God, you're great. It's rejoicing in what suffering produces. Character, hope. Now the antithesis of that is the people that only come to church because they want circumstantial peace. I want to come to church now because my marriage is not doing so good. I need to get my kids back in church. They're, they're rebelling against me. I need to get back in church. Man, sickness. Man, I guess I need to go honor God. i got to pray and worship Him. Maybe He'll heal my, my meme or whatever. And they come in. And they come in. And then when circumstantial peace happens, which is temporal. Oh, I'm good now. Whew, I got my job back. I'm good, God. I'm out of here. Thank you for that. I'm out. That's the opposite. Real disciples endure. They don't bail out, and they don't come just because they want temporary relief and peace. They come because they want God. God is the reason that you should want to walk through these doors. In that want... Will he give you these other things? Absolutely. But you better line it up. You can't get those things without God. All right? That's the, that's the picture we're seeing. So uh, let's, let's close this out. Um, in, uh, in the last part of the text, Paul says that we won't be shamed. When we stand before 
the mighty judge, the mighty God. We won't be shaming. We won't be cowering in fear of judge. Oh, man, he's passing this down on me. I'm so scared of what he might do. It says we will not be put to shame. That we have a boldness in us that we can stand before the glory of God and not be ashamed of what he's done in our life and who he is for what he is. The guys are going to come back out and we're going to close out. I mean, I, I want to encourage this week, man, to rest in those benefits. There's nothing wrong with wanting to know the benefits of what it means to be justified by grace through faith. When you stand before God, you'll either be justified or condemned. Those are your two options. Justified will only happen through Jesus. Condemnation, wrath, is if you don't have Jesus. When you are justified, you get all of these amazing, amazing gifts that are not just promises that not yet obtained. There's some of those that we hold on to now. Hope, anchor, peace with God, rejoice in our sufferings. Those are things we get. It's okay. Christians get stuff. We're the privileged. We need to boast in those things. Boast in the Lord and the Lord only. Man, some of you don't fully acknowledge and you don't fully understand the benefits that that are given to you. And you need to seek your assurance of that salvation this week. You want to talk to somebody about that? what that means? How do I know? Man, come talk to somebody in the back when we get done today. I'll talk to you. I'll set up an appointment with you. I'll meet with you this week. I'll do, I'll do those things because I care for your soul. Man, some, some in here today, you've, you've smacked Jesus' hand away at every opportunity. Jesus, you want me to do this? Get that hand away. I don't want to hold your hand, Jesus. I don't need you, Jesus. You have not surrendered. You've not held his hand. You've not made him your master. And I pray that you understand you don't get peace with God. You don't get uh, any kind of rejoicing in your suffering. You don't get any of those things. You don't get access to the Father. You don't get access to God. You don't have relationship with God. You can't approach Him. You can't approach Him on the throne. You can't approach Him in prayer because you don't have access to God. You won't get Him until you have Jesus ushering you to the Father. God's moving you there today. You want to know what that means. Go talk to somebody in the back. There's hungry people that love Jesus that want to talk to you about that as well. And let's pray. Father, we love you so much. Your word is so comforting, authoritative, convicting sometimes. God, I'm so thankful for an encouragement of one through five in this passage that says... This is what we get. It is an anchor to our soul. God, we live in a broken, messed up, painful world that is at war with you. And we need an anchor. We need endurance. We need to rejoice. So God, thank you for providing a way to have all of those things through your son Jesus. What a gift. That's why we pray all of these blessings and praises in his name of Jesus. Amen.